Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of a Slice of Empathy podcast. Um, it's uh, It's been a moment. Um, I got back from Thailand just over two weeks ago now, actually. Um, and it was a wonderful time, um, crazy leading up to it uh, because we had a housewarming slash my husband's birthday party just before and it initially wasn't supposed to be like that but unfortunately our travel agency had changed the dates somewhat last minute it was less than a month before the trip we were supposed to leave on a friday we ended up leaving on a tuesday so we had very little time uh in between the weekend and leaving so we had one day of work in between so just kind of leading up to that point uh, i had scheduled our housewarming slash my husband's birthday months in advance um and then like i think a two like two weeks before that he my husband found out he had to do a mandatory saturday first time in the three years that he's worked there and it just happened to be on one of the worst possible days <laughs> so i mean it, it, it was good and bad uh good and that it gave me time to kind of set up because he didn't know it was kind of a you know surprise birthday he didn't know about the housewarming however i was doing a lot of the prep work myself and it was extremely extremely tiring leading up to that i almost to be honest, almost like at the day of, I almost regretted taking it on. Um, ended up turning out really well, but it was just extremely stressful because I spent weeks, every weekend for about five weeks leading up to the point getting our house ready. And we had put it off for quite a while just because there was just like a lot of intense cleaning and I was doing all of it uh, by myself. Um, and you know, juggling other responsibilities I had going on at the time. And then leading up to the day, I was scrambling until the very, very last minute. But thankfully, I had a good friend who had come up and stayed the weekend. And she helped me uh, the night before kind of clean up and get ready. And so I am super thankful for her doing that. Um, it just, uh, yeah, <laughs> made things go way quicker um but thankfully uh we left with the clean house because it's you know no one wants to come back from vacation to a dirty house or have to clean up anything um so it was a lot uh getting <laughs> scheduling my last podcast episode getting that already geared up and going up which that uh aired while we were on vacation um so that one went out and that was the uh wedding planning early college life biggest regrets episode so if you guys hadn't listened to that definitely check that one out you don't necessarily need to listen to these episodes in chronological order but you know it could be it could be helpful um, but each episode will sort of have its own focus but you know if you want a little bit of backstory i would recommend uh listening to the previous episode um but yeah so the day of uh i was really really scrambling and I I honestly didn't want to cancel the housewarming again because we had canceled it before it was actually supposed to be last April and I just didn't you know because when you cancel so many times you know it just kind of looks bad and like I guess I don't know maybe I worry too much about what people think but I was just like a lot of variables came into play that we just couldn't control like 
travel agency changing the dates that we were leaving and my husband having to work that day and a lot of unexpected variables kind of came into play that just made it really, really stressful, which was kind of a reminder of why I don't uh, really host things too often because it's a lot of stress, but um, it was fun. And I think next time going forward, I will be more uh, straight to the point about requiring either folks to sign up for a dish and having more potluck style or having just catering. And actually, I kind of like, there was just so much going on that it, I did kind of mention possibly having a sign up list, but didn't uh, formally have one. So I probably should have made that a little bit more clear, but oh, it was just, uh, yeah. And one of our relatives had asked if uh, it was going to be like a costume party, which silly me, you know, it was a Halloween themed party. So I kind of like that kind of slipped the radar too. Didn't get my costume on time either. I got it like a day later. Uh, but thankfully, I think most people just kind of came or felt comfortable coming just in regular clothes, which is fine because I just ended up telling folks to, you know, if, you, if you'd like to wear a costume, go ahead. If you don't, that's totally fine too. Uh, there's no hard requirement. Maybe next year when things aren't so <laughs> chaotic, sometimes there's just things aren't, aren't in your control. Um, and I was just doing my absolute best to kind of just go with it. Um, we ended up leaving for Thailand uh, on the day of my husband's birthday. So um, like the party was kind of like housewarming slash his birthday with some of our friends and family. Um, so overall it uh, went pretty, pretty well. I <laughs> overheard later that people were, I guess, complaining about um, the types of burgers or the types of drinks that were available. And, you know, I was telling my therapist about it and she's like, you know, that's ridiculous. But she's like, you can't really control what other people say, do or think. And she was right. So I was, uh, she's like, you know, I, you threw a very nice party and uh, that's what you should focus on and you can't control <laughs> what other people, you know, basically pleasing other people. So, um, yeah, because we, my husband and I, we usually do like a BYOB, like bring your own beverage, because we don't really like, we don't really drink a whole lot of alcohol, so we don't really carry too much of it. Um, and then we also don't really drink a lot of like soda and stuff like that, so we don't really carry that. But we did have a variety of um, different types of carbonated water, flavored water, um, flavored drinks, and a bunch of different beverages to choose from. Um, so there was plenty, plenty to choose from, but you know, I uh, just advised folks that, hey, you know, if you want to drink alcohol, bring it with you. Um, so there was plenty of that. There was people that brought that. Um, one of our relatives brought uh, KFC, um, but my friend and I were just like so busy in the kitchen that everyone else got to eat it but us. <laughs> kind of reminded me of uh, my wedding a little bit in that way that <laughs> our wedding was just so chaotic that we it, it was just so I don't even I don't think I touched on this in my last episode but the whole thing was about two and a half hours from start to finish from our ceremony to reception we were kind of rushed out um, because I think they had another wedding coming coming in and it was like overbooked so it was really kind of a lot of rushing we didn't really get to eat. We took some photos, um, kind of sat down to eat for like 10, 15 minutes maybe. And then we had to get up, greet people because a lot of people were going back home really quickly, uh, hand out favors. And so I think this is a common theme that for a lot of people when they get married that they actually don't really get a lot of time to eat. So I feel kind of better knowing that wasn't just me, that I guess it happens to 
a lot of people that you're just so busy greeting people and passing out favors and thanking people and hugging people that you really just don't get a whole lot of like like sit down time to eat um and i think honestly it's for that reason that if i ever were to get married again i would not have a traditional wedding and reception just because it's like i'm an introvert and it's like it's really stressful so honestly the birthday slash housewarming was a little bit stressful um so i think it was just kind of a learning opportunity for me to kind of know like what things I will do going forward. And of course, as I mentioned, there were some things that were out of my control, but maybe some of the things going forward that are in my control just to keep things as simplified as possible because one of our friends does it, he just has a potluck. Um, and maybe like, I'm only responsible for maybe just cooking one dish and everyone else brings the sides or just having, just having catering. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of uh, how it went. I ended up coming back from the trip a few days later and catching COVID um, again, uh, almost three months after the, I last had it. And I was the only one who got it. My husband didn't get it. My dad didn't get it. His girlfriend didn't get it. Uh, it was just me. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I know that it was really stressful uh, flying back home because we had to get up at three in the morning in order to get our shuttle to the airport. And I think we left at like 7.30 or eight or something like that, but it was really, really stressful. So I think my body was just, you know, more susceptible to catching just anything, especially at airports. Airports are germ factories. Um, and we were masked, I think part of the way because Japan, I think it was uh, ANA, ANA Airlines required masking still because Japan had just opened, and that's another thing too. Um, going there, uh, we had a we had a stop in Japan as well. We had layovers in Japan there and back, and I realized that Japan actually the flight isn't that far. It's between eight and a half to ten hours flight from California to Japan, but our flight to Thailand with the layover was about sixteen hours. So it was one of the longest flights I've ever had. It was quite tiring, especially when you factor in the few hours of layover that you're spending. And it just got me thinking that I was just like this close to finally being able to go to Japan. It's been my lifelong dream since I, as far back as I can remember, like my early teen years. Um, so basically more than half my life. And I was telling my husband, I'm like, you know, we just gotta make this happen and forget all the variables. Even if we have to plan it out kind of far in advance, right now we're thinking maybe spring of 2024, because um, that gives us enough time to save and plan it out and have, you know, vacation time, all that stuff. Um, because before it's kind of like, I don't know, procrastination with anything. Uh, when you look at the big picture, sometimes you're like, oh my God, that's a lot. Like I have to do all these things. And then you kind of you kind of procrastinate, right? Uh, rather than just kind of doing it one step at a time. And I think what I've learned from my travels, uh, my travels experience, um, is that plan one thing at a time. Maybe you just we kind of did that for our flight to Hawaii last year. Kind of similar. Uh, we booked the. I happened to get a really cheap flight to Hawaii. Uh, we wanted to go right when COVID started, but you know that didn't happen for obvious reasons. But we got to go a year and a half later and it just i happened to see a really good flight ticket deal i think it was like 99 dollars a person or something like that so we booked flights to hawaii and then as it got closer we booked the hotel and then we saved up money for like the expenses that we'd need while uh we were there you know things like that kind of 
slowly planning a trip. And then also I think a lot of uh, travel agencies and I, I'm looking into Tripmasters um, where they allow you to, you pay like a, like a deposit or a down payment. Um, and then as the trip gets closer every few months, you pay a little bit more. So I think travel is becoming more and more attainable for a lot of people. And there's a lot more flexibility as far as uh, finances go, what type of hotels you want to stay in, what you want to do, and completely customize it pretty much for, for really anyone. Like you can go very, very budget level and stay in hostels, uh, get very uh, cheap flights that have a lot of layovers. Now there's pros and cons to a, a lot of that and it just really depends on you. And I'm probably gonna be making a, a YouTube video on it shortly about my experience, but uh, our tour agency experience uh, for Thailand, it wasn't the best. I mean, my dad got a really good deal, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like that, that saying goes, you get what you pay for, right? It was really disorganized. We used UTO. We had previously used uh, Gate One. Gate One was really great when we went to our first European trip, but UTO was just so, so disorganized. Wasn't very well planned. Um, they, I saw a lot of bad reviews where they took people's like money, like $500 a person they tried to collect from everyone um leading up to the trip you know i understand costs have gone up things have changed whatnot but um yeah so that was kind of the first kind of flag or so to speak and my dad my dad i guess my dad like he thought the trip overall went pretty decently like there could have been things better and he was looking at booking them again for maybe greece it's like a thousand dollars a person deal and I, i'm like are you sure like sometimes like you know I understand like if financially you have to do the you know the cheapest thing and that's like your only option like totally totally get it but like if you know you don't like layovers and you know you can afford to you know pay for something a little bit you know more expensive like a better a better flight and pay to upgrade your seats or whatever and do it my biggest requirement really is just having an aisle seat uh, as someone who just, you know, has an overactive bladder and IBS, you know, it's just like, even though it's doesn't always bother me, it's just one of those things where I, I don't want to be that person on the flight who's like trying to like, hey, can you get up like every two hours, you know, especially on a long flight. So I just make a conscious effort to like know that that's how I travel. And it's usually not that more, it's really not, it's more expensive generally to be able to get an aisle seat and depending on the airline, um, if you do have to pay extra to choose your seats, usually it's maybe like, I don't know, $50 compared to, I don't know, say paying an extra few hundred for premium economy and business class and, and so forth. To me, like paying an extra $600 per flight for something like business class isn't really worth it unless I just have the money to burn, then maybe that's a different story, but I think most of us don't. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm like, I'm okay. Like just like in the regular economy coach area, just as, as you know, so long as I have an aisle seat to walk around. Um, and even the layovers aren't so bad. If like I can, you know, it gives you an opportunity to kind of get up and walk around a little bit. So that's kind of how I see a layover, especially with a long flight. Although it, it does kind of wreak havoc on 
your body and uh, sleep and whatnot. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a great time. It was uh, kind of warm and humid there. Really, really fun, positive experience. Very affordable in Thailand. One of the one of the cheapest places to visit in Asia. I think Vietnam is also another really affordable place to go. Um, and so yeah, we're thinking about planning out our trip to Japan in 2024. Um, doing it slowly and I'm like tell, I was telling my husband let's just make this happen um, because I feel like once you complete that first step like you book the flight you're like okay well I can't get a refund on my flight now so I have to book everything else I have to follow through with it right you kind of push yourself and and you make uh you know the choices that will line up with you know your goal and path to get there right so yeah um and I'm thinking of sharing more about my travels going forward. So it looks like I, I've been telling you guys about my trip for the last 18 minutes. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our topic today. But I just, uh, I couldn't start this podcast without kind of giving an icebreaker. Okay, so the next couple of years, I did touch on my toxic job uh, that I had at the coffee shop. I was there for a year and a half after dealing with all that stuff with HR and this person bullying me, um, I, they drastically cut my hours. I literally had no work for two weeks, like no work at all, no scheduled hours or anything like that. And at this point, there was no reason for them to be doing that because I had drastically improved performance. I had documentation to back that up, but for whatever reason, yeah. So basically this, this, this girl, the supervisor and the store manager were like best buds. So there, yeah, there was a lot of nepotism. That's the word I was looking for. And that's the word that perfectly describes <laughs> this uh, company I was working on. There was a lot of nepotism. Um, and later on, I think, I remember after leaving that job, finding out like the unrealistic expectations uh, the CEO had had, a lot of you know, similar things that had happened to other people at different organizations, um, that it wasn't, it wasn't just me. Um, so I'm glad I ended up leaving that. It was kind of a corporate retail job. Um, and like the benefits were really good and the, the employee discount was good. I got free food. However, I, yeah, it was just a lot of, a lot of nepotism and it was just, it reminded me of high school to be honest, or maybe even middle school. It was that bad. Um, and that's really, and I think there's been a lot more awareness to stuff like that, that people just aren't really tolerating, especially now, um, uh, HR and workplace movements to, you know, employees demanding better work environments and to be treated fairly and not be discriminated against. There's a lot, there's a lot of, there's, there's just basically no tolerance for things like that nowadays in, um, more recent movements. Although at this point in time, it was definitely, you know, this was during the great recession. 2007-2008 so things looked very much differently it was definitely a employer market so it uh yeah it, and I'll, I'll kind of get into that as well um so basically I ended up deciding to quit this job it was pretty close to the holidays I just had had enough of it and I I did end up on applying for unemployment even though technically 
if you if you quit generally speaking you're not eligible for benefits although that's changed a little bit as well um there are certain cases where you can get benefits but you 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 kind of have to plead your cause and basically appeal it so i had to appeal my claim for unemployment benefits because you know like oh you know you quit you know and then they give you an op option to appeal it like why did you quit and you have to have you know your documentation why you quit etc you have to show that you quit with cause or whatever um so I appealed unemployment benefits because I just felt like I was being pushed out. And because of the recession going on, there was a lot of people on unemployment at the time. So because of that, it took three months, I think three months. So I didn't get unemployment. See, I quit that job probably at the, be at the end of November, beginning of December. I wasn't awarded unemployment benefits until I think March. Uh, that's how long the appeals process took um, and that's because they basically go to court. So during that process, I submitted what's called an appear by declaration. So I had written something up in lieu of appearing in court, basically my side of the story. I don't know. I think they, you know, the supervisor or whatever appeared in court because they have to like share their side of things and then they basically make, make a decision. Um, based on that. So after that, I got the results and found out I won my appeal because they basically, and I, I didn't find this out later, they basically fired me after I gave my notice, because I gave a two week notice, without telling me. And they did this underhandedly in a couple of ways. A couple of days after I gave my notice, they told me I didn't have to come in for my last shift and that my paycheck was being overnighted to me. Okay. So basically I didn't fulfill the two weeks cause I basically had no work anyway, but the unemployment basically viewed this accumulation of me not having any work for two weeks and them terminating me before the end of my two weeks as tantamount to a termination. They terminated me. They didn't have just cause to terminate me. They really, they just basically that they tried to do it because they didn't like me and then try to get me out of there and in the less than two weeks. And so yeah, they overnighted my last paycheck. They also found out that the last scheduled work day I had that they should have paid me for, the one that I was, that they're like, oh no, you don't have to come in. And that I guess they should have paid me for that. So I kind of felt vindicated after, I don't know, my poor experience is kind of like my reward after, cause I got a few months worth of back pay for having to put up with all that. Um, I did everything I was supposed to do, tried to improve and all of that. And yeah, so unfortunately because of the, the nepotism and uh, the childishness, the things that were going on, it's just, yeah. I And that's, an, that's one position I will, I never once looked back on leaving. It was just a toxic situation and I'm glad that things <laughs> have changed since then because for the amount, especially in retail, that you are paid, I mean, even now, I mean, people are paid a lot better. You're just not paid enough to put up with, especially things like that. Like, you're already, like, you know, it's a fast-paced environment. There's a lot of things you have to memorize, uh, people that you're working with. There was a lot of requirements, but then also having this stuff go on, like, in the, in, like, behind the scenes. Yeah. During, okay, the Great Recession, so the next year and a half or so, I pretty much just continued college, went to school full time. 
and I think I was doing that until about spring of 2010. I had like a couple seasonal things kind of in between, but it was kind of like an opportunity for me to really just kind of you know, the last couple of years had just been insane. It was just an opportunity for me to just focus on one thing rather than a relationship, a school and work and everything simultaneously. I just focused on <laughs> school full time during at this point. And I remember getting a couple of comments from family and friends saying that, oh, you know, I should go back go back and work and like I don't know acting like I was lazy and it was really weird because these said family members took time off to focus on school full-time themselves so I don't know it was kind of it was it was just I don't know um double standard I guess um saying like oh you know you, you should go back to work or you should you know and I'm like okay but didn't you guys basically say that oh you know I should just focus on school like these like the people in question had said that and then like I do that and it's just like you can never win, right? So it's just like, yeah, you can just never, you can never please anybody. And of course, I was like, you know, worried about people thinking that like, oh, you know, I was taking advantage of my husband during this time. Really common in marriages and relationships were, you know, one person at work and the other person might go to school full time. Yeah, so... <laughs> um, unfortunately, I've never really been in a position to where like, I could just like quit work to to, to focus on school or whatnot, I always had to work and go to school. And this year and a half was really just like an exception uh, to that. Kind of by choice, kind of not, because when I tried to go find other work, it kind of took me a little while. Um, I had a seasonal thing uh, at the portrait studio, which I later got hired. It was at JCPenney major clothing store in between there I had worked at a like a sort of like a startup frozen yogurt shop I was only I think I only worked there for like maybe a week and they had like this mass hiring event for one of their opening locations and one of the they so they tried to say training days would not be paid which is I know now totally legal especially in California but they tried to like, oh, you know, the training days aren't, you know, aren't aren't paid. And and it's kind of sad because, you know, most of the audience or the workers that, you know, they're catering towards is a lot of like high schoolers, people just going to college, things like that, have a part-time job. So a lot of, it's an audience who doesn't have a lot of um, knowledge about like employment law, for example. Like this would not fly at like a corporate job, right? So I feel like they were just kind of taking advantage of the naivete, I should say, of uh, younger working people, which, yeah, is not good. And I was the rebel in that um, because I think I decided later on um, because it, it was like in a outside shopping mall. And I decided later, I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's that really great of a fit because they were having minors, which... I believe if you are going to school or something like that, it could be different now, but you're not really supposed to be working past 10 o'clock at night. And they had minors like like working by themselves, closing, 
Closing up shop, I think they close at like 11 or 12 by themselves. Um, so I wasn't really like super comfortable with that because I think I had heard about uh, like a jewelry store nearby getting robbed, break-ins and whatnot. So I just like, I didn't really feel like it was that safe. Um, so that was one of the reasons I'm like, oh, okay, I think I'm gonna quit. Plus not really consistent working schedule. And then later on, I, I, I don't know what compelled me, but I just felt like it was wrong. Like, how can you train people and not pay them? It was basically like unpaid labor. And I have so many feelings on that, even like in the interview process, uh, I'll talk about that in another episode, but like unpaid labor, especially in a, in a job like that. Um, so I ended up contacting the labor board um, and just making a claim um, about, I think it was two days. I think it was, yeah, one or two days uh, of unpaid training that they tried, they tried to advertise. And that was for everybody when they first opened. And I actually won that <laughs> claim with the labor board, the labor uh, department of labor. Um, because California, especially, they have a lot of protections um, for its workers. Uh, so I won that claim. And they were required to pay me for those days of training because it was considered work. You know, they ended up paying me. They they were paying people under the table at this point in time. They are paying people cash. It was just a lot of shady stuff. And they took advantage of, like, people who just didn't know better. So they they were paying people cash initially for, like, for this job. So... I remember going in and picking up the money because I think they, I think I was contacted by someone that by text or phone call said I could come in and pick up what they owed me or whatever. And everyone, <laughs> everyone that worked there who was working there knew who I was. Um, they knew I had, a ma had made a big deal about not get, getting paid those two days. I don't know if it was a good or a bad thing but I hope it kind of inspired other people to kind of stand up for themselves and speak up, I, I hope. Especially, I get, again, this was a younger audience. Yeah, like you don't want to be taken advantage of by an employer. So I hope that really inspired other people to speak up as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I just, yeah, they just knew who I was. It was just a, it was an interesting experience. They just kind of had like, oh, you know, you're, yeah, you're the girl that went to labor board or something like that. I remember one of the employees made a comment like that and she kind of smiled or whatever. And like, yeah, everyone kind of knew about it. Um, like I was just that person. Like, you know, sometimes it could get you disliked when you, when you, when you speak up or, you know, <laughs> in a good or good or bad way. I don't think they disliked me, but it's just like, they, they just knew who I was. And, you know, I hope that manager or the owner learned from that experience you know that it's just it's not kosher to treat people like that um especially a younger demographic who may not you know have a lot of labor law knowledge anyway thanks to my family for encouraging me to kind of speak up on that it just didn't sit right with me so if you feel like you're in a similar situation at work definitely definitely speak up and i know depending on the state you're in or the country you're in Things vary, um, but it's always worth contacting your Department of Labor or similar wherever it is that you are and asking about that because, yeah, definitely not, definitely unlawful. Okay, so kind of in between that time, I think this was after, or why is it, 
I can't, I think this actually was after I worked at the portrait studio because that was a seasonal position, um, you know, because people get holiday photos and whatnot. I don't even know if that's still there. Uh, but yeah, you know, people are getting holiday photos. I worked there and that was, that was a fun, that was a fun position to have. Um, but meanwhile, it's kind of an interesting snippet. Um, and, you know, I only talk about things as it's related to the podcast and topics that we're focusing on. And from my personal experience, I had gotten some feedback, for example, on my last episode um, about some of the folks in question not agreeing with my point of view on things. And like, that is like totally, totally 100% fine and, and valid. And I know there's going to be uh, different perspectives, but my purpose is to kind of share things from my point of view and perspectives and maybe it's not 100% you know on the dot or what uh, people are agreeing with but I share it just from my own point of view and you know I may not remember things 100% correctly either but it's a it's from my own personal experience and I'm not of the intent to speak for anybody else. So yeah, just wanted to add in that snippet because I feel like everyone has their own points of view and, you know, I'm not here to, to debate or argue any like points or whatever. This is just my opinion, my point of view, my perspective. So I hope that helps. Okay. So this, and during this one year and a half span of time, I, you know, was going to school or whatever, kind of worked these seasonal and odd jobs. My brother had started dating this, this girl and I, and and I speak on this because this is how it's relevant and affected me. It was interesting because we found out she is actually my husband's stepfather's second cousin. I don't know what the twice removed or once removed. I don't know anything like about that, but basically she was my husband's stepfather's cousin's daughter. So I believe that make would make her a second cousin, but that his step family, my husband's step family was like huge. Like, so he didn't know her and he wasn't always, uh, cause my husband spent up until age 16, uh, was raised by his biological dad before he passed away. So he didn't spend like a ton of time with his step family, uh, until he moved in with his parents, um, when he was a little bit older or moved in with his mom and, and stepdad after his biological dad passed away. And then I think would see them for some holidays and whatnot. So it was, yeah, that was interesting. I think we had out, had all been talking and she, had mentioned her last name and he's like, what? And he's like, cause it's not, it wasn't a super common last name. And so my husband's like, what do you know, happen to know so-and-so? And she's like, yeah. And he's such and such. And so <laughs> I don't, I don't name names on here, but anyone who listens might be able to, you know, know who I'm talking about. Um, but I don't, I don't name anybody's names to protect privacy. So yeah long story short there was a lot of drama didn't end well there was a falling out a lot of grief with the family art like my mom's family especially like being investigated by her mom and 
my brother ex at the time made a lot of passive aggressive shade at me and my brother admitted it later so it was really it was really validating for me because he did like later on once they weren't together it was like yeah you know she definitely was always trying to like one-up you and she had it out for you and yeah and I, I never knew why because like I am I'm always just, I'm a people pleaser. I try to get along with everyone. I, I try to be friends with everybody. And sometimes it doesn't always work out. And of course I, I've made my share of mistakes and have my role and fault in that. But I just genuinely, you know, and even sometimes now, like, you know, I'm always, I never had a sister and, you know, I'm always like looking for, you know, a girl to kind of hang out with or to, you know, go and do things with. And I do have some, amazing amazing friends in my life um but i just you know i yeah i want to i want to get along with like everyone in my family like i you know and, and yeah so that was kind of, that was kind of kind of hard it was a lot of a lot of grief because it was like a lot of thing behind the scene things with her mom and then her and my husband's stepdad stopped talking for one reason or another because uh, yeah so i had a lot of identity and personal issues during that time that caused a lot of familial strain. I just really struggled a lot with my self-esteem, which I attribute to my childhood and my, my journey with that and things that I've struggled with. And I, you know, had low self-esteem because of that. It took me so many years to find value in the person that I am and find kind of myself and who I am and what that looks like rather than what people think I should be or how I should act and look like and and that's a hard it's a hard journey especially if you are someone who's come from a dysfunctional upbringing and you don't really know anything about yourself and you, you know you're just discovering yourself it is that's a journey and during this time I switched my majors a couple of times in college um, I remember starting off wanting to go into nursing and my mom and my grandmother in particular like what like you be a nurse and but my heart was set on it just because like you know my dad had dated a woman who was a nurse and she made really good money and I'm like okay you know at the time I wasn't sure what else I wanted to do so I'm like okay I guess I'll do that um however when I went to school the nursing program at my college was severely impacted so you had to do a lot of you have to do your normal like two years of general ed before applying to the nursing program which at the time i'm not sure if it's changed now was a complete lottery system and you know if you got in it that would be another two years and this would just be for an associate's degree and yes it's like a great program but like you could be it could take you five or six years at junior college just to just to get in, you know, finish your, you know, your general ed, get in and get in the program. I ended up discovering it wasn't really for me because one, um, I had to take a lot of prerequisites for that program. One was chemistry. Uh, it was even more foreign than math, algebra and all that geometry. And I just couldn't, I couldn't even get through the prerequisites. And now I realize all of the labor and work that, that, that nurses have to do and just everything that's involved. When I became more aware of that, I'm like, oh my God, I, I don't know if I can do that. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you could be working 12 hour shifts and a lot of 
a lot of shifts are like six to three or like, you know, maybe in the middle of the night. And it's just like, you know, I kind of like working kind of a typical kind of nine to five and having weekends off type thing. Whereas when you're a nurse, you could be working holidays. You can, you know, easily be working weekends. And so I think after spending my six years in retail, I kind of wanted to move away from that type of life, like where, you know, because I, you know, I was working like at a coffee shop and a grocery store and 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 um, a retail outlet, where like you know you're you know you, you pretty much worked most days of the year, right? So I just kind of wanted to move away from that and kind of have more work family life balance. So I think that was one of the reasons I discovered it wasn't for me. And then I moved into psychology because you know I've had spent my years, my share of years in therapy. And I've gotten a lot out of it. I've gotten a lot out of therapy. I, I It's really helped me. It's really benefited me, you know, off and on throughout my, my childhood, throughout my adult life. And I thought, you know, maybe I can, maybe I could be that for someone else. Um, and I was, I took a lot of the courses in my community college and I really, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think when I changed my major from psychology it was mostly just because I, you know, I think just to be a therapist, um, you know, there is a lot. I think you have to do so many like unpaid hours of internship or work just to get, I think your life, I think it was your marriage and family license. It's like a therapist license. I, I'm the name of it escapes me offhand, but you have to do, I think so many hours and that could take like a year or longer to get um, as a student. And I think you have to have a minimum of a master's degree. So of course it's, you know, it was also, it was the, it was the expense. I think that kind of discouraged me. So I think from there, I, you know, I'm like, okay, well maybe, maybe I'll do real estate. Cause you know, my, my, a lot of people do real estate. Um, and you know, cause you can make pretty good commission, especially in the area I lived in the Bay area. Like, you know, the commission on, I don't know, a house that was seven or $800,000, like could be easily like thirty, forty $40,000, like payday. But there is a lot of work that goes into that. Um, I mean, it's changed now. I mean, with like, you know, the internet and all social media, but in the traditional sense, like of door knocking and cold calling, like I just have never really been good at sales. Sales is not for me. And I know a lot of people intersect marketing and sales into one and they can be related to each other. Sure. But there are different facets and aspects of marketing that aren't sales. Um, the firework or something that went off and back. Yeah. So there could be like digital marketing. Uh, and that was more of my area of expertise was digital, uh, social media. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later when I landed kind of my first kind of social media job that kind of made me kind of realize what I really wanted to do. So yeah, you had the sales and kind of like marketing, but like I am not a confrontational person like like when I think about like car sales or like, you know, things like that door-to-door -door sales people like I'm like, "Oh my god, I am just like I I just can't do it. I can't I can't try and like convince people to buy stuff." And I and I think I probably should get into this as well, but um because it's relevant to this to this topic, but I was scouted for a couple of MLMs throughout my college years, you know, again, young, impressionable 
college young person, kind of like with that job, um, I was approached by a Mary Kay consultant who, you know, they advertise, oh, you know, get your free facial or whatever. It's not really a facial. It's basically just a demo that leads into a sales pitch. Um, and any of you who have been in that world know this. And I fell for it a couple of times when I was young and dumb and hopefully I've learned from it. But yeah, like during, during the time I was unemployed, I had gotten a pitch for being a Mary Kay consultant. Um, so she came in, came over to my house, you know, actually really did my own facial. She just kind of shows you the products and this is how you applied it, blah, 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 blah. And kind of, you know, oh, you know, you can make all this money by, you know, becoming a Mary Kay consultant, having parties in your house and blah, blah, blah. And I know that's changed a little bit too with social media and there's more like virtual parties and whatnot. But yeah, so like, you know, of course, I think I was like 18, 19. I'm like, oh, you know, I, it, it was a recession and, and I kind of was like disenfranchised with the job market after my toxic experience at the coffee shop. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, you know, it's kind of like any get rich quick scheme, you know, was, I, <laughs> um, and I just, I say this because I hope that this will help someone not fall for any, any sort of MLM, MLMs, the vast majority, 95%, you will not make money. You will generally lose money. Uh, the only people that really make money are the people way on top. And the whole hierarchy of it is just so um, unethical. I think unethical because the definition and people interchange MLM with pyramid scheme. There's similarities. However, a pyramid scheme is an illegal MLM and a MLM like Mary Kay, Avon, etc are allowed to operate legally. However, it's the, the ethical structure of it is the same, basically. You, they, these people, they don't make money so much off selling the products as they do with recruiting people underneath them. That's the whole point. So the person way up top is making money off of everyone below them, hence the name Pyramid Scheme. Those are the people that really make the money, the like, you know, the CEO, president, um, like high leaders, people way up who have a ton of people beneath them. And that's really how they make money versus actually selling the product because they push you to recruit people more so than they push you to sell. And they push those people to recruit and those people to recruit and those people to recruit. So I gave in and I ended up buying, I think like $1,500 worth of product because the, the lady had me so convinced that I could sell all this stuff. And God, I... Oh, it's just so unethical. Like, cause you're taking, you're taking advantage of someone who's young and inexperienced and, and, oh, that's what really gets me. And, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even make money. I ended up towards the end. Like I remember, and I think they had some, some type of clause where you can't have like a table where you can sell stuff. I don't know. Cause you know, when I go to festivals and fairs, I see people selling Color Street. I see people selling Avon. Like I went to a festival yesterday and I saw people selling stuff there. I don't know. So maybe it's changed, but I guess with Mary Kay, like you're not supposed to like have a booth or whatever, but I had rented a booth at my college to try and sell this stuff. And I saw like, I sold a couple things, but honestly, I, in the end, I ended up having to sell most of it off on like eBay for to try to uh, recoup at least what I paid for it, which was, I don't know, maybe 50% off the, the selling price. Um, 
because you do get like a, a discount. So sometimes joining these things to get the discount is worth it. Uh, but I had all this inventory, all this product. I went to a few of the Mary Kay seminars. I even booked a plane ticket to Texas for one of the big Mary Kay events. And I, I think I ended up not going. I think this was around the time where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is, I'm not making anything. I'm losing money. And I honestly, I think I lost money on that flight too. I just, I just didn't go. And I'm like, I don't even know how much I paid for that. A few hundred dollars. I'm like, yeah. So it, <laughs> I lost probably close to probably at least $2,000, um, off of that. And I don't know, maybe a six month period of time. And after that, I was like, nope, no more pyramid schemes or whatever. And of course, like my communication with this consultant kind of like dwindled after that. Cause I'm like, yeah, I really just, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. So for anyone out there, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Cause like they have you believing, oh, you know, you can make all this money and you don't have to go back to a nine to five. And they're like, oh, you know, I can feed my family and all the usual stuff. Um, I did end up doing Avon later on, but I had a very informed consent that I, I was not intending to really sell Avon. I'd signed up so I could buy Avon and get the discount cause I was buying a lot of it from my consultant. So I was mostly doing it just for that. I think I tried It Works a couple of times, uh, like belly wraps. And what else? Later on, I got into Beachbody, but that was also informed consent because, you know, I, I went into these other ones knowing like, you know, I, I'm not paying, I didn't pay like upfront for all this product. I basically signed up so I could get a discount off my Shakeology, which is overpriced. I ended up stopping that after a few months, but it is worth it for the workout programs. I ended up canceling my um, membership, like as a, I don't know, um, what are they called? Beachbody coach. Yeah, Beachbody coaches. Um, I basically only joined as a quote unquote coach, really, so I could get the discount. Um, but like, again, like with Avon, with Beachbody, like there isn't this buy all this inventory up front and try and sell it like Mary Kay was. Um, so that was, <laughs> you know, I had learned my lesson in that. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And I think my husband had, he had been recruited into, try, attempted to be recruited in I think Cutco, which was like knives and then some other one that was clearly a pyramid scheme because they had like a bunch of people go and they had like this presentation. There was another one he did, I think, for a week and did not get paid where it was called Centura Creations. And I think people should know. And they are knock, like a knockoff perfumery. And they basically try to get people to buy perfumes in parking lots. And it was fucking, it was sketch AF. It was so sketch. And at first my husband didn't listen to me and I'm like, hey, this just like, it just doesn't seem right. Like this seems really off. Like don't keep doing this. He did it for a week before he finally agreed. Cause they, he took a bunch of other people to another place and they tried to like, they give, they give you like this inventory to try and sell and they didn't make anything. And like, if you are not being paid a base salary, cause most respectable jobs, even sales, you get paid a base salary. Even if it's only minimum wage, you get paid a base plus whatever commission. 
And sometimes you have to meet like a quota in order to keep your job or whatever. But this was like the only money you make. And they're like, oh, you know, they advertise these jobs as management opportunities, entry level, no experience required. So if you see anything like that, especially in Craigslist, if you see anything like that, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And they're usually recruiting a bunch of people for the same job. Um, that's usually a sure tail sign that it's a pyramid scheme or some sort of MLM. Um, so definitely avoid those, um, you know, type of type of positions. Um, but he was doing it for a week. They're going to parking lots, trying to sell off this perfume. Like, dude, this is super sketchy. And like, honestly, it really bothered me at the time. And he didn't really listen to me. But I guess he had to find out the hard way that like, okay, yeah, this just like this isn't paying off. You're not making any money doing it. I know you're desperate for a job. And like, this is during the recession, they really, really preyed on people. People were desperate for work. People were desperate to make income. I mean, it's almost similar to now because we have the increase of gas, groceries or whatever. There are a lot of people that, you know, they're trying to do whatever they need to do to make ends meet. But thankfully there's so many other opportunities to, to kind of help kind of diversify income but like at the time that's kind of when a lot of these companies were very predatory towards people um, who were desperate for work so yeah like in later years of course i as i mentioned i did beach body just for a little bit just to get the discount i'm like nah like shakeology is overpriced you can get like organ there's like really good protein supplement companies that you could get from that are way way cheaper you know, and I think I also did lip sense or Senegens for a while, and that's also a really bad one. Um, the lip sense uh, is like a lip stain, but it burns the crap out of your lips, and then it has like this gloss to kind of moisturize because it anything that really burns and dries the crap out of your lips, like you don't want to be putting on your body. So I think about two years ago, I stopped. I just, I'm not even just like. I only, again, this is another one I joined just for like a, a discount, like for a consultant discount. I didn't actually try and sell the product and I was up front with my consultant. I'm like, I'm not gonna sell anything. I'll just join just so I could get these products discounted, right? Um, and I eventually stopped doing that and I stopped using it just because like it, the ingredients were just like really damaging um, to the skin. So I don't, I mean, even though it was nice like to have a super long lasting lip stain, it it was very damaging um, to, to, to the lips. So like, yeah, I wouldn't recommend definitely look at the ingredients in your skincare. Wow, uh, it's been an hour since we've been chatting. So I think I will probably conclude this episode with the biggest point um, of this episode. A key turning point, both of in our marriage, a big life-altering event. My husband, uh, it was in the beginning of 2010, he had gotten a call, I think, uh, from his step-uncle, basically that his mom was in the hospital and had a seizure. And not long after that... Um, a biopsy concluded that she had brain cancer and it was stage two at this point in time. And this was pivotal because my husband's dad, his uh, biological dad had died from brain cancer. I forget who had what, but it was, they each had a different type of brain cancer. 
His dad, unfortunately, had died only a few weeks after he found out. I think it was one of them had a glioblastoma and the other had a what's called an astrocytoma. And it was just a very crazy fluke coincidence that both his parents, I'll cut ahead a little bit, ended up passing away from brain cancer. Um, and thankfully, um, after some research, we found out that it wasn't genetic. Like I know certain types of cancers, like breast cancer and ovarian, those types of can cancers can have uh, genetic factors, thankfully. But thankfully, um, the, yeah, so <laughs> back on note. Um, but thankfully, uh, the brain cancer was not genetic, but it was just a really weird, crazy coincidence that both of his parents had it. No one else in his family that he knows of has had brain cancer. And I think I looked it up at one point. It's actually kind of rare. Um, even though you do hear about it a lot, it's kind of rare when you compare it to say skin cancer, um, or breast cancer. I think those are much more common. Um, and I think brain cancer is, uh, like way less common by comparison. So it was quite difficult, this process. Um, she had stage two and in 2013, she had passed away, uh, I think when the cancer had returned. Um, during this process, she, I think had chemo and radiation. Um, and I think I'll have my husband on an episode. We can talk a little bit more about that and his thoughts and feelings, uh, surrounding that. But, you know, both of us were in school at the time. Yeah, we were in school at the time, and I think, yeah, I was working... No, a couple months later, I got the job at JCPenney. Yeah, I think it was a couple months after that. But my husband uh, helped take her to her uh, doctor's appointments. And I think previously I mentioned that my husband's relationship with his mom over the years has been strained for a variety of different reasons which I will let him get into at another point in time. But um, yeah, so during this point in time, it, it was hard. You know, we, we were working, uh, going to school at the time. Um, I know there were some expectations on my husband that weren't, you know, really considered. Like, um, you know, it was just, uh, it was a difficult time. Between him and his stepdad, uh, they both took her to her appointments. At one point, she was on some medication so she couldn't drive, you know, during the course of her treatments or whatnot. She was kind of loopy. So yeah, it was, uh, it was stressful because we didn't, you know, we didn't know how things would turn out and it was still kind of, I don't know, it was kind of a relationship that was uh, very much on their terms. I, I don't know, by association, I, I know I had feelings about it. I, I, I sometimes tell my husband that, you know, I wish I, was more supportive during that time. I mean, I, I feel like as, you know, I was already a young married person, you know, I, I was only like 21. Yeah. 21. Yeah. I was 21 at the time. Um, and married and, you know, you know, ideally, you know, they, anything can happen at any time, but you know, you never really expect to be in these situations until like, I don't know, you're middle-aged and your parents are elderly, you know, and we're like young college students and it, um, you know, and of course I'm 
you know, already dealing with my own stuff. And it, it, it was just, yeah, it was hard. And, and so I feel like I, I couldn't quite be as fully present as I am now. You know, things were just a lot different going to school and juggling work and whatnot. I'm thankful to have a very stable, a stable job and whatnot. You know, so if God forbid something happened, like I feel like I could be fully present if I needed to. But at, during that point in time, it was just, yeah, I think it was hard for both of us. And, you know, yeah, especially for him, you know, one of his parents had already passed away when he, you know, when he was 16 and that was already hard. And both of his parents passed away before he was even 30. I can't even imagine it. I mean, as trying and difficult as it's been at times for me and my own parents, I just can't imagine not having guidance at times. And and I'm speaking from a place as someone who has felt like I've had to raise myself to some extent, you know, and just like not having someone to go to because, you know, we, we've all been there, you know, as young adults, we, you know, where we, we kind of have needed that guidance. And luckily he has, has had, you know, his aunts and uncles and grandparents and other people in his life to kind of provide that. He considers my mom like, you know, his surrogate mother, you know, and so I, you know, I'm thankful for that. But yeah, so he took her to um, like her appointments and whatnot. And I know since, you know, you never know how long your life expectancy is. And they were doing therapy at um, one point in time. I think I may have sat in on a session. Um, I don't remember why, but I think I, I think I was invited to sit on a on in on one of the sessions that they had um you know i felt kind of a kinship and affinity with my mother-in-law because we had similar upbringings i think and i think you know i i especially now i can understand why she said and did things the way she did it made sense especially based on her history and i think she understood me for the same reason and so yeah and so i was i got to be part of that and kind of you know yeah i guess i just saw part of myself in her so yeah and i i think though at some point those sessions um had stopped there was a period of time and, and it was over a little thing it was like a year or so later um i think she after her treatment and chemo and whatnot, she was in remission for a little while, uh, about a year or so, I'd say. But the contact we had with them kind of um, became kind of minimal. Yeah, so I'll, long story short, um, my husband's stepdad got offended over a post I made on Facebook, and it was about Columbus Day. Something offended him about it. I don't know what. And I think it was something to do with the fact that I said, oh, you know, wish we could get that day off or something like that. Something like that. Um, now it's uh, been renamed Indigenous People's Day, which is more fitting. But anyway, yeah, he got offended over a Facebook post um, and unfriended me. And, you know, my husband and I tried to, like, for the lack of a better word, be the better people <laughs> in this situation and be like, hey, you know bury the hatchet like let's just put this behind us and whatever and just move on you know try to let it go um even though I just kind of felt like overreact I mean it, it's just it it's consistent with the way he's been 
since the, and during the time I've known him and my husband's known him, but we just kind of like, okay, we'll just let it go, whatever. Um, and then, um, I think it was his mom or his stepdad. I don't know. I don't recall. I think it was his mom who had re replied and basically was defending his stepdad and, uh, being upset with us. Uh, you know, they're saying that, you know, they basically said that they were done with us, you know, done talking to us, um, didn't acted like they didn't want anything to do with us. And I, I and, and honestly, now I feel like my husband's stepdad had kind of put his mom up to that just based on what I can recall and what I've observed is very much kind of, I don't want to say, I don't want to make allegations really but from what i had seen there was i don't know i got the impression that there was some kind of emotional manipulation kind of going on even if it's like unintentional just based on things i've heard and whatnot but i remember there was one day where she was over uh, i think in between her doctor's appointments she came over to our apartment and all of a sudden, she wasn't there very long, maybe a half hour. And then all of a sudden she said, oh, just getting off work soon. Oh, I better get home. I better get home. So I don't know. It was just, it was just something about that. Just, just kind of seemed a little weird. Um, I don't know. It, seemed, it just seemed kind of controlling almost. So I have the suspicion that my husband's stepfather has put his mom kind of up to that. And she kind of sometimes we'll make excuses for him, you know, and just kind of defend him and kind of make him look good. Like, like, oh, well, you know, for example, like when my husband was kicked out um, from his parents, she said, oh, well, you know, you know, I didn't want you to be homeless or whatever. Like, this was my idea. Like, just went out of her way to say that this was her idea. So it was very weird. And so sometimes I'm wondering if maybe it was his stepdad that wrote that email from her or on their behalf because again like his mom was never confrontational with us so a lot of her allegations towards us were by email um it's funny about a year and a half ago i remember yeah being in our old apartment and i was just going through old emails i my email goes way back to like when i was in high school right so i happened to come across an old email that was kind of triggering and it was, I think it was addressed to both me and my husband we were dating at the time. And the email just went on and on about how my husband has changed since we dated, that we've been dating and how he wasn't doing his chores correctly or, you know, and, and, and I don't know, but talking about his bank accounts, uh, bank accounts being like zero and, and I only say this because I was addressed in this email, but I, I don't think I should have been addressed in the email. I feel like, you know, this is something, especially at, during that, at that point in time, that she should have directly addressed with my husband, not include me on it because it was, she included me, but the email was really about him and what he was and wasn't doing at home and how he was acting. So I personally think that, and you know, feel free to disagree, but I just feel like that, um, you know, I'm not ultimately, I'm not responsible for another person's actions and choices. Um, 
So I, yeah, especially at that point in time, like, you know, this is way before we even were married. So I, I don't know. I just, I felt it was like, it was a little bit out of turn. And this was, this was way before, um, she was diagnosed with, uh, brain cancer. Um, this was like, yeah, way when we were dating, way before we were married, but yeah, so we got this email saying that basically they were done with us, and I think Chad said that he had been done with us for a long time, and or his stepdad had said he, he was done with us for a long time, and I was like, honestly, that didn't bother me because his stepdad never really made an effort to talk to me. He, just, yeah, he, you know, as I said, when, before we even got married, he made his position on everything quite clear. But I think it wasn't too long ago where I was dealing with the period of time where I just felt awful because it just, we were made to feel like horrible people. And I feel like a lot of the actions and choices that we made were a product of, you know, one, we were young, immature, and said and did stupid things that people at those ages do that I feel like is very age appropriate to be getting with and two, also both of us having, you know, come from very difficult past. Not that that excuses anything, but you know, we were young, you know, we had a um, very troubled childhoods and upbringings. And so I think that there should, you know, at least be some consideration to that, you know, like not to expect us to just be like these perfect people and do hundred percent make perfect choices and perfect decisions all the time. And so, because like really nobody does. But I remember prior to that, um, my husband's stepdad's uh, brother, he, he uh, one of his uh, kids had had a baby. And I remember they posted a picture of the baby and I'm like, oh, you know, he's so small. He has such a small head. He's so small, you know? And I don't know, maybe I didn't say that correctly or something like that, but like the parents weren't offended, but grandpa was super offended. He was like, oh my God, like, what is he supposed to look like then? Like he responded so upset, like, oh, how is he supposed to look? You know, just like super defensive and like, and I'm like, oh, whoa, calm down. It's <laughs> like, okay, like, 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 calm down. Didn't mean anything by that, you know, just whatever cute and small, whatever, you know, it's like, but yeah, ever his brother didn't talk to me after that. Um, I remember even at the funeral, at the graduation party, yeah, he just, he didn't talk to me after that. I think he infronted me as well, didn't talk to me after that. So it's just like, yeah, stupid things like that. So that family was just insane. Like it, they we're kind of crazy. Um, and I'm kind of glad that my brother is no longer with his ex because they were engaged at one point in time and that we have nothing to do with them. Um, I mean, it's been nine years since my husband has talked to his stepdad and that wasn't his choice. Um, after his mom had passed away and he saw happened to see his stepdad at the cemetery one time, he tried, I told my husband, I'm like, you know, I'll just wait for you. Um, I'll wait for you in the car because I didn't care to to talk to or speak to um, his stepdad because I knew no matter what I said or did, you know, his opinion of me or a relationship or anything like that was never going to change. So I'm like, okay, you know, you can go ahead and, you know, talk to him or whatever. And so he did. 
or he tried to, I should say. And my husband's stepdad just didn't say anything to him. He just, I think, said like maybe a word and that was it. Just wouldn't talk to him, you know, or anything. So, I mean, that's his choice, you know. Um, ultimately, we can't change people or force anybody to have a relationship. You know, he just didn't want anything to do with us. And that's unfortunate. Um, I, you know, I don't think we <laughs> did anything wrong or felt we're you know, we shouldn't have been made to feel like we were terrible people, you know, for just being young and growing up and trying to navigate things. Um, you know, everybody makes bad choices at some point or a mistake or, you know, so yeah, um, it was the last time we talked to him, but yeah, so about a year into my mother-in-law's cancer treatment journey, they had stopped talking to us for a while, for, for like probably about a year. And then we we weren't contacted by them again until I think my mother-in-law's cancer had progressed. Um, and I think at this point, it was maybe about, about six or seven months or so before she passed away. I think um, when her cancer had come back and I think it had become stage four at this point, she was in remission for a while and then it came back because I remember I think part of the therapy with my husband was kind of like, you know, she didn't, you know, like anyone wanted to make amends, you know, for things while she still had the time. And I think that was part of it. I think that's why she wanted to see her family and stuff more um you know, because well, we realize life is short, right? Then when she was in remission, uh, and I and I think a lot of my husband's stepdad had a lot to do with it, um, because just based on well before me, the relationship my husband has had with both of them since he was younger, and his stepdad not just really wanting to have to really know him or really be in his life, basically. So yeah, so when we were contacted, it was to go. I believe it was to go to um, my husband's mother's uh, birthday party, which was her last. And at this point, she was kind of like, you know, off and on throughout her treatment, she was kind of incoherent. Um, at this point, she, you know, she was like aware, but she just, she didn't, you know, her personality had shifted because, you know, of course, of the, the brain cancer itself and also the medication she was on. So her birthday party, even while she knew we were there, she didn't really talk much. She was just very different. But I remember sitting next to her, and I always remember this, and all of a sudden she just puts her hand over mine, and I remember feeling kind of weird because, you know, you know, we hadn't talked, and this whole thing had happened, uh, like, I don't know, a year before, um, where they had stopped speaking to us, well, mostly... Pat, or mostly my husband's stepdad, um, this whole thing had happened. And, but all of a sudden, I think, I don't know if it was my husband's stepdad himself or someone who convinced him, but he finally mustered up the, you know, he finally, I think he, I think he either emailed or called, no, I think he maybe emailed my husband and told him, and I think it was like the week of her birthday. And I think part of that is because, you know, maybe he realized it would look bad if, you know, her own son wasn't there, you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he, you know, they ended up inviting us to her birthday party and we had to kind of change our schedules around because he didn't tell us until like that week. Like, I, I think maybe even a couple days before 
Uh, we, we weren't told until, until a few days before, and this was a big birthday party. Um, so like, okay, you know, you know, once again, we changed our schedule around and made an effort to be there. And I, yeah, so I just remember her putting her hand on mine and just didn't say anything, just kind of looked at me and I wasn't, I kind of wasn't really sure how to respond. So I just kind of didn't say anything. I just kind of looked at her like, okay. I, I think she was trying to tell me something, you know, again, I said that I, I felt like we kind of had this unspoken connection and even just like despite everything. I, and so I feel like my husband's stepdad had played a lot of role, a lot, a large role in the reason why my husband and his mom didn't have the best relationship. And yeah, so like, I think a few months had kind of gone by and at this point, it was getting closer and closer to the end. I think at one, you know, she was on hosp hospice care a few months after that. You know, at the very end, she was so medicated that she went into a coma for a few, few weeks before she had died. And because, you know, if you don't eat, uh, it's only downhill from there. Um, that happened to my late grandmother as well. You know, once they stop eating, it's kind of only downhill. So she, you know, yeah, was in this state and it, it was only a matter of time. So this was spring of the following year. It was only a month before we were graduating community college and we were going to transfer to university. And I'll be so, I'm so grateful that, you know, we got our associate's degrees first and had a graduation ceremony at our community college because flash forward, you know, his mom you know, wasn't there for our, um, actually, no, we graduated in 2011. Okay. No. So this was, it was a month before we graduated our, uh, four-year college, uh, which she had passed away a month before. And it was two years prior to that, that she intended our two-year graduation. And I'm glad that we had that. Not everyone does. It's totally optional, but I'm glad we did. Cause you know, she wouldn't have Unfortunately, she wasn't able to be there for um, my husband's university graduation, so at least she did get to see him um, graduate two years prior to that. So we're grateful for that. Um, yeah, because it was a month before we were finishing college. Just two, uh, yeah, a month, a month before, and we had the added stress of you know financials. There's a lot of financial stuff kind of going on in the background of that, you know, and in between like his mom slowly slipping away, you know, um, during this point in time, um, I, I, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit, but, um, um, his mom had had brain cancer. She had, she lived for three years following the diagnosis. This is a difficult subject to talk about and you always, you know, have to be conscientious of how you talk about it. But I mean, yeah, throughout is, yeah, she, she lived for three more years and they got to develop a, you know, improve their relationship, even though it's, you know, it was never perfect, but you know, they, they did get to improve their relationship. And, um, I remember in my mother-in-law's, uh, my husband's uncle read her eulogy and she had written, I believe she had written it or he helped her write it that she was glad her son had found someone to share his life with. And it was just, uh, it was, it was, uh, 
it was it was really nice yeah so that was uh it was a difficult couple of years because we kind of started that journey being like in between jobs and then working and going to school and finishing and doing all of that kind of in between and then a month before we finished college um she had passed away um and I remember being at work and I, I asked my husband, do you want me to try to get off work early? He said, no, because he had been there. I think he had taken off. I think he had taken off work or had gotten off to, to go and stay there. At this point in time, we had jobs that, you know, were part time. They didn't have any sort of benefits. So we didn't have sick time, holiday, anything like that. Um, so if we weren't working, we weren't being paid at this point in time. So that contributed to um, the financial stress at the time. And I remember my husband only took like one day off after his mom passed away because we just couldn't afford to take any more days off. Um, because yeah, it, it was really, it was really stressful, you know, having to deal with, yeah, you know, a death in the family and then you financially you can't afford <laughs> to take time off because um, you don't have sick time or anything like that so yeah and that, and that was that was both of us um, looking back I, I, I wish that I had consciously chosen to be there I think my husband wanted to kind of spare me the trauma after seeing what happened to my grandmother um I think he had gotten there a cup like right as she was taking her last breaths and he had to see see her being wheeled out and whatnot he said it was pretty traumatic um and I'm just saying this because this is I wasn't there but this is from what I've heard and understood and yeah so during that journey I you know we saw them more for holidays and even you know, at one point in time, we lived only like down the street from them and we hardly saw them um, compared to my own family. Um, that's how at arm's length we were, not by our choice, um, but by theirs or by his stepdad's. Um, I remember one Christmas where his mom, I think, was on her medication and she just, it's kind of like in a way, kind of like kind of like a drunk person where they kind of like, sometimes they mutter things that don't make sense. And sometimes like they're totally unfiltered. Well, this is what happened. Um, all of a sudden his mom just said, and this is, you know, one of the thing, one of the reasons why I truly do believe that my husband's stepdad is responsible for a lot of the difficulties is because she came out and said, I married an asshole just like my father. And I think my husband's uncle and cousin and me, my husband and his stepdad were there and no one said anything. It was a very awkward silence. I remember uh, my husband's <laughs> stepfather just had a very kind of grim look on his face. Like you could tell he was kind of pissed off, but he just didn't say anything. Like he, like, yeah, he just didn't say anything. But I kind of was inwardly like, <laughs> I was kind of holding back a laugh because she wasn't wrong. Um, so I think because of her medication, she, yeah, she was unfiltered. And there would be a couple of days where I think my husband came to pick her up and she was kind of wandering around aimlessly against the medication. Um, so it was stressful, um, you know, in between going to school, work and yeah. And, uh, 
having this, I think, you know, on, on our plate. And it, it was something that really tested our marriage in a way, just like, you know, difficult things do, especially being married young. You never expect to go through this. Um, it was, a, it was not a, it was not an easy, easy time. I know I kind of jumped ahead to 2013, you know, I'm telling you between 2008, 2013. Um, but her cancer journey kind of, uh, it was over the course of three years and my husband and I very much lived and dealt with things together. At one point in time, this caused me to kind of reach a breaking point where I had to separate myself emotionally because I tend to become, as an empath, very emotionally connected to things and invested. And I think that's a great thing. But also I feel like it, there could be some downfall because I just, you know, again, as I said, I was reaching a point where I was angry at at things for him, feeling feelings for him. And that's kind of when I realized I'm like, I'm too emotionally connected. Like I, you know, had to go through a period of time where I took some steps back and tried to emotionally focus on my own struggles because I feel like that allows me to better support him if I'm not like as emotionally invested, I guess, for the lack of a better term, you know, um, if I'm able to focus and, and that's kind of like where the airplane analogy comes in, you know, you can't, you can't help, you know, that you're, you know, someone next to you get their mask on if you're gasping for air, right? So you got to get your own oxygen mask on first, right? So that's kind of where that analogy comes in. Um, so instead of like living these things with him and being angry with him, I, you know, me being able to kind of step back and, and deal with my problems and, you know, so, so I could support him and vice versa was better. Um, and, you know, we went, you know, we had a period of time where we, we were in therapy and, you know, we had to learn a lot of these things because neither of us really had a great example of what honestly, a marriage really should look like. Um, so it was a lot of trial and error throughout, man, almost 15 years. <laughs> a lot of trial and error, a lot of growing, you know, especially if you get married young, you, you know, you either grow together or grow apart. That's just uh, how it is. Um, but yeah, I'm realizing this podcast is getting quite long. So I'm going to wrap it up here and kind of pick up in the next episode, um, kind of about like my grandmother's death and some of the other things that had kind of gone on, uh, in between the last, um, couple of years during this journey. But I did want to share this topic in this episode and how that affected our marriage and some of the things that we went through and how it affected us to where we are today. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Please stay tuned. Maybe I'll have a bonus episode if I have time. Uh, the next couple of weeks are pretty insane. But um, if not, I will see you guys back in the next episode. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, share this podcast with your friends. I would super appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if you think of someone who might benefit from this episode, you know, share it with them. Uh, sharing is caring. 
um, you know, if I'm just touching one life, that's, it makes it all worth it. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Bye.